0: Uh, Welcome, everybody, to Session 2. That uh, person that just led that prayer topic was my wife. If you guys don't know me, my name is Caleb. I'm the pastor of uh, our Busan campus in the city of Busan. We've been there for 11 years now. It's quite a long time. Uh, We've been been doing this for about a a minute. And, um, like, I had a really hectic evening (laughs) after the games were fun right and by the way tomorrow after lunch we're gonna give the winning team team won is that who won yeah team won w-o-n which is my middle name i grew up with the name chinwan lee in uh, los angeles california got made fun of a lot but uh we'll give you guys your ice cream after lunch uh we're gonna order it and then um we'll be able to uh you guys can eat it with ethan and ezra can we get the rest of the lights on it's so dark I want to see. I I like connecting. I wish I could preach from down there. but um, I know I am. Too short. If I was Jacob's height, I could be down there. Everybody, like, look up at me. Uh, uh, I'm going to... Yeah, so I had a really hectic evening. Thank you. Um, After the games, I got, like, super tired. I just got... I don't know what happened. I just got like extremely tired. And so I took the kids, me and I had a small group. And so I took the kids to uh, our hotel room and I ordered them dinner and I just like closed my eyes and I had like a 10 minute nap. And then I got a text saying that the food's delivered. So I went downstairs, no food. And then apparently got delivered to the wrong address. And so I was like arguing with the lady and then I was talking to the delivery guy and I tried my best. I was like, oh, I got to preach, but I have to stay holy, but I did not stay holy Um, you know, like our kids are hungry. And so I, you know, we've got it figured out and I was coming here and, and, and then, um, you know, the lady called and she's like, Oh, why didn't you call me back about the delivery? Blah, blah, blah. You you had to pay $4. And I was like, ah, it was tough. I had a really high, and then like our kids, my kids were like driving me nuts. I don't know if you guys know Ethan and Ezra, but they're at that age where like, Oh, they talk so much. They're like, it's like, you know, I, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking bad at women, but you know, women, you guys talk a lot more than men. My wife talks way more than me, right? Our, our kids talk way more than my wife, right? It's it's pretty ridiculous. I think I I have offended Panita like five times this weekend, <laughs> starting from yesterday. She's like, women's. Can-? <laughs> I, I'll stop right there. I'm sorry. i, I I'm just I'm not saying but. My wife talks a lot. My kids talk way more than my wife. So it's like it's 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 really annoying. But then as I was coming in here, I remember right when I stepped in here just like my heart just changed, right? I just like like entered into the presence of worship and I forgot how good Susie is at leading praise. Um dude, she's like she's so good. Like like when um when I came in here and then it was that first song and, and it's just like I was like wow, like it's like like she's she it, it, I it, 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 t- it, like, it took me out of that funk I was in, you know, immediately. I was like, oh, and, and then God told me, like, change your shirt. And I was like, okay, I'll change my shirt. <laughs> brought a shirt. So I changed my shirt. And then I felt, like, fresh and clean, clean. And then my heart just, like, you know, just, like, God, Spirit of God just came. So I'm ready to preach. Uh, I'm going to preach and uh, 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 continue on from where Pastor Susie left off. Um, it was really encouraging working on this sermon kind of series for this retreat with Susie. Uh, we, like, you know, we we. we, we Got together through Zoom and we were talking and and we just kind of like came up with this series in, in essence together and it was very like synergistic, um, you know. Like she was like she was like, okay, you get you, you do the second sermon, but then she basically wrote my sermon for me. And I was like, thanks. I said, do you want to preach the second sermon? She's like, oh no, it's like, but here's some more things that I want to add. It was amazing, and then like I was able to like really like speak into her, you know her sermons as well, and it, it's it was just a blessing working together uh, with her. Um, it, it was pretty awesome and susie left off with the prophets of baal my sermon today is called rebuild the altar of the lord right and um you know and susie left off with the prophets of baal being um just putting on a freak show right <laughs> they're going crazy you know just like you know it, it just like reminds me of you know like all of the, the the crazy things that like you know there's people out there do sometimes and and um we're going to read starting from first kings 18 if you have your bibles Turn to 1 Kings 18, and I'm going to read from verses um, 30. No, where am I? Oh, yeah, 30 to uh, 40, okay? And I'll read it to you guys. In the ESV, it says, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribe's of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seas of seeds. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblations, Elijah, the prophet, came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in in Israel and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things in your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offerings, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their face and said, The Lord He is God, the Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. It's gangster, right? Um, You know, we've been reading about, you know, Susie talked a little bit earlier uh, about um, King Ahab. He's a wicked king, right? Um, and And the Bible says that he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. And in First Kings twenty one twenty five, it says, "There was none who sold himself to do uh, what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel his wife incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols, as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel." When we read through the Chronicles of the Kings, and, and you know, through the through the Chronicles and the Kings, um, and we read about these kings that succeeded David and then Solomon, right? You know, like, he, even when you look at the life of David, right? David, he's, he's a man after God's own heart. You know, he's the one that built the tabernacle of David. He's this guy. He wrote, like, you know, like, most of the Psalms. His, his, you know, he's like, if there ever was a mighty king in Israel, it was David. But when we read throughout his life, we see that ultimately, in the end, even David, he failed miserably, right? He really did. He committed murder, right? And, he, like, you know, adultery. And, 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 and he just failed, failed. And then he kind of... Like, he passes on his iniquities to his children. Solomon, who's supposed to be, like, one of the, the wisest kings to ever live, had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's not normal, right? Like, like, I have one wife, and that's enough, right? But he had, like, 700, thank God, right? I don't know how Mormons do it, right? Um, 700 wives and 300 concubines, right? It's like, that's not normal, and that's not wisdom in a sense, right? And then you see all of the kings that have been passed on after Solomon. All of like, you know, there's, there's, there's I think, after Solomon, supposedly um, there were four, like a little bit over 40 kings throughout Judah and Israel. And, and not one of them, like, like, okay, maybe one or two of them were good, right? right? But if you like look at, look at throughout Christian history, right? No, no people name their kids after these kings, right? Josiah is the only one that I know. Our friend John Newfeld named his son Josiah because Josiah was a, it was a good leader. But there's no there's no old king like like no one names their kid, kid, kid like Jehoiakim, right? Right, like like or like you know there's these kings that they never get named. Be, like we won't name our kids there because they were just bad kings. They they did wicked, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And Ahab here is considered like the one of the worst one. He's probably considered the worst king, right? Ahab and Jezebel. The Bible says that Ahab did evil, and he did evil things, but his greatest sin was spiritual incompetence, right? Yeah, you know, spiritual incompetence is a sin. He allowed his wife to spiritually run amok with the people of Israel... He let them into the worship of Baal. You know, like what what started out as just like a like a, a little thing here and there, just became a, a a nationally instituted like you know like idolatry religion that like like took over the the people of Israel. And and, and then uh, you know like. And, and I don't know if you – like from 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 you know Jezebel. When you look at Jezebel, it, it, and when you read throughout the, the the Bible and you read about Jezebel, you really see that that it, it's, it's this place from her that that she's like doing a lot of the wickedness and the manipulation. I don't know if you guys ever heard of the spirit of Jezebel. Some of you guys might have heard of it. You know, some of you guys might not. But I, you know, I'm not going to go too into it because you know, depending on your theology and your and your and your stance, you know, it's it's a hot issue. But I will say this, right? It wasn't just this woman Jezebel that caused all the problems. Because Paul tells us that, the, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers in this present darkness. against the, the, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, right? And And... You know, when we read the Bible in that way, and this demonic influence that was controlling Jezebel and all of the other idolatrous kings throughout Judah and throughout Israel, right? And that led the people astray. Paul tells us that not only like, are those demonic spirits kind of still around, but he's telling us that that's where the battle is. Our battle is in the spirit. It's spiritual warfare. If you don't believe in spiritual warfare, you don't believe in the Bible. Right? Because Jesus, he did two types of miracles. One of the two types of miracles that he did most, most while he was on earth. He healed people and then he cast out demons. And a lot of times they went hand in hand. Right? And so the same demonic influence, like, like it, 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 it's alive today. And so what Israel were experiencing through Ahab and Jezebel was not like a political issue. It wasn't a cultural issue, but it was a spiritual issue. A spiritual battle. There was a demonized queen and a, and a and a demonized king that was leading the people of God astray. On paper, Ahab was a decent king, right? If you look at him from natural eyes, he was a decent king, right? This king of Syria comes against Ahab. His name is Benadad. I hate like old Hebrew names, right? He's a king of Syria. He comes against like you know the, the Israel and, and Ahab with uh with a, a greater army. Right, and thirty two kings at his back, and then Ahab, you know, like he goes and he defeats them. And then the very next year they're like, Oh, they're gonna be back, and then they come back and he defeats them again. If you look at him through the natural eyes, if you look at him just on paper, he is a decent king. But spiritually it's a different story. And it tells us that we need to have spiritual eyes. We need to have eyes that see beyond the natural, beyond what we see with our, in, 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 you know, in, like just through the news and whatever. And we have to have eyes that are able to see and perceive the spiritual realm. And we live in a world today that that's, I believe is more against God, more against Jesus, more against Christianity than ever before in the history of the world if you're reading the Bible like the way that I read the Bible and a lot of people in here read the Bible, it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Right? And we have to see with spiritual eyes. The church at this hour has to perceive with spiritual eyes. Isaiah says it in chapter, uh, Isaiah 5.20. It says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. And we live in a world where this is happening all around us. Where being a Christian is socially unacceptable. Or being a Christian with the type of theology and convictions that we have is considered unacceptable. We live in a world where idolatry is considered good. If you scroll through Instagram, right? Idolatry is trending. And we believe in an all, and believing in an all powerful God that loves us and, and brings brought salvation to us by right, by sending His Son to die on the cross for us. Right? That's considered silly. It's considered stupid. Have you Have you ever looked at mainstream media? They portray Christian in like the the stupidest ways. Sometimes it's embarrassing. Right? Here's the thing. What we, what we read about in First Kings 18 is nowhere different than what we are seeing in society today. Idolatry and the flesh has caused the people of God to take their eyes off of God and onto false religions. Right? Baal was a god of rain and fertility. Right? What does the world worship today? We worship money and the things that it can bring. Right? It's the same thing. And what the people of God needed back then wasn't a political revival. It wasn't a cultural revelation, revolution. They needed a spiritual revival. They needed to have their spiritual eyes open. They needed to be able to be brought to life spiritually in the spirit. America just had their midterm elections. right? Who followed the midterm elections? Anybody American in here? Yeah. And everybody is talking about politics. Red versus blue democrats versus republicans and christians are all caught up in 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 these issues as if jesus came to if he jesus came today that like he'd be a republican you know what would jesus would do if he came today you know what he would say he would say look at god look at god look at me i'm above all of this i transcend all of this you guys, like, set your, what does it says in Colossians 3, 2? Set your minds on things above and things that are not, that are on this earth, right? Set your minds on eternal things, right? God is above all of this. And he's saying, like, hey, set your eyes on me. Like, like focus on the eternity, the spiritual aspect of your eternal soul. But what are we doing? We're being distracted. Jesus is telling us, let's go to Disneyland, and we're just, like, playing in the dirt, with like a bootleg You know, like bootleg doll of like Mickey Mouse, like Marky Mouse. Like he's saying, like, come on, I want you to look at eternity. I want you to look at your eternal. Like you're on this earth for such a short amount of time. I'm talking about eternal things, eternal consequences, eternal rewards. And we're playing in the dirt, getting, getting, you know, like like being distracted by things that, that are finite. Things that are of this earth insignificant things. A lot of times we think idolatry is like making a shrine and praying to it. Like we make a shrine of bow and we bow down. But idolatry is taking our eyes off of God and placing greater value and attention on things that are not Him. And if you look under that definition, it hits close to home. It's easy for us to get caught up in idolatry. Some of you guys had just had kids. You guys know that you could turn your kids into an idol easily. Some of you guys are about to have kids, right? And I like, like I, I remember when I first had, had my kids, I was like, oh, like I feel like, like, like like my my heart for God just kind of like it, it felt like it shriveled up a little bit. I, I remember like, oh, is this like is this, it was like my kid was this all-consuming thing. But like, like, like it says, you know. Even even our kids, God tells us like like I have to be above that. It right? doesn't mean that we hate our kids. But you know the the best the the only way that you're gonna raise your kids, the way that they deserve to be raised under God's like precepts, is to put God first. The only way that you're gonna love on your wife, the way that your wife is deserves, is to not love your wife more than God is to love God first. And so, you know, they fall into this idolatry. They fall into this, this, they're going after the things of this world, right? The fertility and and rain and and, and the crops and all of these things, similar to what we we see in our industry. But we look back and say, what did the people of God need back then? What did the people of Israel need? What, What did they need to encounter? And it says, as the people of God turned away from God and ran after other gods, Like, like what did they do? It says, then Elijah said to all the people, come near me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. My first point is that they needed a fresh revelation of worship. The very spot where God was worshipped and torn down. And he needed a fresh revelation of true worship. Here's the thing, we need that. We need to learn to worship, not based on our definition or worship like based on what we think worship should be, we need to worship God the way that He is worthy of. We have distractions, we have the world, we have our flesh we can we grow complacent, we have temptations, our hearts grow cold at times. You know how I know its because it happens to me it happens to Susie, it happens to j p happens to my wife it happens to all of us right. So we need a fresh, we need a constant fresh revelation of what worship is. And that revelation and that definition does not come from us. It comes from God. And the Bible says that our God is a, is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12, 29. And He needs to be worshipped like that as if He is a consuming fire. It's not because God needs attention. Like God's not up in heaven like, oh, worship me. You know, he's not like one of these Instagram moms. I'm not talking about you, Mina. But he's God, right? He, Moses is like, God, what, 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 what do I say your name is? And he's like, I am. That's like, that's like, I am. That's it. Period. He is. There's no one that is greater, there is no one that is holier. He is God. But practically, we worship God because there is no greater thing that we can do on this earth and worship Him because He is worthy. The church, do you believe that? Do you believe that there is no other endeavor that we can do on this earth that is greater than our worship of God? The Bible is all about worshiping God because our connection to God and our relationship with God and even our understanding of God is defined by our worship. I'm going to say that again. Our, our understanding of God, our connection with God, and our relationship with God is defined by our worship. Now some of you guys think like, well, you know, we get our knowledge and our understanding from the Bible. Yes, we do get our knowledge of God and our understanding of God from the Word of God. That knowledge and understanding of God becomes truth and reality through our worship of Him. Do you guys understand? i met a lot of people that know a lot about the Bible, that know a lot about God. But a true gauge of a man of God is is in how he worships God. Do you get it? You can learn about God. I'm going through seminary right now, and I'm going through a lot of like... I, I, I read like, like 18 chapters and, and like... Sometimes like, I, I feel like, like, I'm, like when I look up in the bed, it's like the matrix. All I see is just, like, words It's coming. Blah, 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 right? I read like a, like a ton of books, right? Well, they're, like, I can learn all of that, but like, none of that matters. What truly matters is what I take from the word of God and how I worship him. The true gauge of a man, a God, man of God, isn't how we worship. Sometimes we even, you know for the best of us, we need to reassess, we need to reevaluate what our worship is like. How are we worshiping Him? Are we worshiping Him in the way that he is worthy of being worshiped? The Bible says in James says, "Don't just hear the word, but do the word, right? Doing the word of God is worship. And as Elijah rebuilds the altar that was torn down in the very spot where the true living God was worshipped in the past. And as Elijah rebuilds this altar, it says he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. And with with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. What's he doing here? Elijah is trying to remind them who they are, where they come from. He's reminding them of their past. And, and as the people of God entered into the promised land and they crossed over the Jordan River, right? You guys remember, if you guys read Joshua, right? Like God like parts the Jordan River and they cross over. And then God tells them like take 12 stones from within the Jordan, right? These were stones that you would have never picked up. Been able to pick, you didn't have scuba gear back then, right? You would have never been able to pick these, these stones up. If I did not do this, I want you to take 12 stones from within the Jordan. I want you to make a monument, right? For each, for one for each, you know, tribes and, and the and sons of Jacob, right? And, and so God is reminding them of who they are and where they come from. And years later, as, as the people of God have gone astray, Elijah is reminding them who they are. It, it, that it's he's the God of promises, that he's the God of faithfulness. He's reminding them of their covenant with them. He says, Israel shall be your name. And as he's rebuilding this altar, he's showing them, what? That you are the altar. Right? He's building the altar with them. right? These rocks that represent each tribe, these rocks that represent who they are. It's like, you are the altar. And, and, and it leads me to my next point. It reminds us that true worship requires surrender. As Elijah rebuilt the altar with these stones representing each tribe, he's telling them that you are the place of surrender. An altar is a place of surrender, right? We surrender our sacrifices. We surrender our, you know, our offerings unto the Lord upon the altar. The worship that the Lord is worthy of requires our surrender. It's us. We're the altar. And if we're going requ- to worship God in spirit and in truth, it requires us to surrender who we are, surrender our lives, our wills. It requires sacrifice. It requires submitting unto his, into who He is. It means we worship Him not in the way that we see fit. We put ourselves on the altar of God and we worship Him as He sees fit in the manner that He is worthy of. We surrender. You know, true worship requires surrender. And then Elijah pours the water, prepares the sacrifice, pours water three times. Right? Three times. He's like, pour water on it. They're probably thinking, like, what is he, what's he doing? And they do it again. Okay, do it again. Okay, I don't know about you, but the last thing that you want to do when you want to start a fire is pour water on it. Right? This summer we went, we visited our friend John Newfeld. You know, you guys, John Newfeld. He's our old um, worship pastor that used to live here with her, with his wife Anita. And we visited him in Canada, and we went to this place called Crook, Crooks Creek. Right, it's John Newfeld's brother's farm. He has a huge like farm with like all these you know acres of land. And they had this like beautiful little, you know, like little pond next to their house. And we had dinner there. And then we're leaving. And he's like, oh, you guys have to stay for the bonfire. And I was like, oh, the <laughs> like, fire? Like, oh, you know, got really excited. And then he like put all this wood on the thing. And then I was like, oh, how are you going to start the fire? And he's like, oh, and he pulled out this big can of gasoline. And I was like, oh, this is going to be fun, right? As he pours gasoline all over the thing. And he's like, can I, can, I was like, can I, can I, can I light it? And he's like, yeah, sure. And so I, I made this like spear out of paper. Right, and then and I lit it on fire and I threw it, and the thing went, just like, like just just, it went up in flames. It was like four or five feet tall. His flames just went, right. I was like, that's how you start a fire, right? You don't start a fire by putting water on it, right? Now this this teaches us two things. One, and it's my third point, it teaches that true worship requires obedience. If I was Elijah, I would not, I want to help God along by getting all of that dry shrubbery and all of the kindling. And I would have like surrounded it with like a, you know, like a bunch of like things like, like you know, like oil. I like guess some <laughs> olive oil that burns and like, yeah, you know, I pour that on there. And I was like, you know, like, hey, just take off your shirt, you know, and, and put it on top and help God along, you know. But true worship requires obedience. We need to be led. And obey the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us to obey is better than sacrifice. Our worship of God requires surrender and requires obedience. And when I'm talking about worship, I'm not just talking about singing praise songs. right, Or sitting through a a church service. I'm talking about our lives as a worship unto the Lord. That's what Paul talks about in Romans 12.1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. When you offer your bodies, it means that you offer your life as a living sacrifice. That requires obedience. You can't be like, God, I offer my life as a living sacrifice, except for my job. Or except for my finances. Or except for my relationship. Do you, know, do you know what worship looks like without obedience? It's lip service. Yeah, yeah, God, I, I, I worship you, but I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. But I worship you. It's like the song we say, Lord, I give you my heart, but not my finances. You know? When Elijah pours water onto this altar, it's obedience. I'd be like, God, can you make it any harder? A lot of times I feel like that with God. God, can't you just do this for me so that I can worship you? Can't you just do this for me so that I can praise you? Why are you making it so hard? But true worship happens when we say, God, it's hard, but I'm going to obey. That's worship, guys. It's like, God, I know know I'm a little scared, but I'm going to obey. I know that this is not what I wanted. But I'm gonna obey. That's obedience. And that's true worship. You can't have worship without obedience. It just it's, it's like it says that's an oxymoron, right? I always like that word. Right? It's kind of stupid, right? You can't have you can't have true worship without obedience. Just doesn't make sense. A lot of times we think like, oh, I'm worshiping God. And God's like, well, I'm, I'm leading you into this. And you're like, oh, this is all good, God. But I worship you. I praise you. But Ultimately, worship is a, is a position of our hearts. Right? Worship has less to do with words. It has more to do with action. It has less to do with what comes out of our mouth, but what we do with our bodies. How we live our lives. How we obey Him. And so, true worship, it requires obedience. And Elijah, he's like, he's pouring water. And everybody's like, what's he doing? What he's doing is obeying the Lord. And then it also shows us that true worship is not man-made. Elijah, as he pours the water on the sacrifice, he pours it three times. He's showing that without a shadow of a doubt that this is God. They're encountering God. This worship and this encounter with God is not a man-orchestrated thing. Brothers and sisters, true worship does not come from man. True worship does not start from us. Do you know that? Do you know that worship doesn't start from us? It comes from, and it starts from what God has done in us. True worship comes when we encounter God in his love, in his glory, in his majesty, in his power. And it flows out of us as we encounter him That's worship. And as Elijah pours water, not once, not twice, but three times, it shows that what's about to happen is not by Elijah. It's not because the weather was really dry and like the conditions were just right. And somebody was smoking a pipe nearby. It's God and God alone. And that's our heart for you today. This is the heart of my message today. We want to encounter true worship. We want to encounter God. And for worship to flow from our hearts It's it's not because of the praise team. It's not because, you know, uh, uh, Susie preached so well or or Caleb was decent. It's not because of anything that man has orchestrated. It's because we encountered God. We want this to be uh, an opportunity for you to say like, I encountered God. I came and I encountered God. It had nothing to do with what man did. It's what God is doing. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. As he pours out water once, right? Maybe that could catch on fire twice. I don't know. And three times, definitely not. It's showing like, hey, this... God is saying like, I, I, will, they, I will show these people that I am the Lord. Right? And, and at the heart of our, our, our hearts for you today is that, that you guys will encounter God. In, in, in a way where it's not because the conditions were just right. It's not because like the, the music was so good. It's not because Caleb was like, oh, he was so like, you know, no. Nah. It's because we encountered God. We encountered the living God. It says, and the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblations... Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. He's like, he's, like, like, he's doing this. He's like, God, like, help them to know that it's you that they are encountering. And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. just answer me, Lord, answer me that this people may know that that you, O oh Lord, are God and that you are you have turned their hearts back. Now, some of you guys might be in here today and you, and you feel like you're just covered with buckets of water. some of you guys feel like, like, like I don't know what I'm doing here today. Some of you guys feel complacent. Some of you guys feel like God is just far. Some of you guys feel dry. Some of you guys feel just like, I don't even want to be here. But let me ask you, can God be setting you up to prove to you that without a shadow of a doubt that you have encountered him today? Here's the thing. Worship is not a one-sided thing. It's not you worshiping God and God just sitting up there in amusement. Worship is a dance. That's the best way that I can describe worship. Right? It's a dance. God pours out His grace, His love, His fire, His power upon us. And we experience Him in His glory. And then true worship flows out of us. We worship Him as He pours out His love upon us. We worship Him as He reveals His glory. We worship Him as we experience His grace. It's a dance. God is more involved in worship than us sometimes, and we can see it in the Psalms. Right, David worshipped God as a young shepherd boy. Right, he's the youngest of his brother. He's just a shepherd boy. It says, and he writes, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And he can sing that because God encountered him in worship. God showed him his steadfast love. He can sing that because he encountered it in his worship. God was there in his worship. He danced with God in worship. It wasn't just him like, like singing a song and and, and saying, I praise you God and God just not there. He was like, God, I will not leave this place today until I encounter you. And God's like, okay, I'm going to show you my steadfast love. And he's like, oh, give the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. That came out of his mouth because he experienced it. He, 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 it was a part of his life. And brothers and sisters, God is here and He wants he wants to dance with you. He wants you to encounter him. In worship. He doesn't want you to just be one-sided. He wants you to experience, you, experience Him. I told you earlier, our relationship with God is defined by our worship of Him. And I ask you today, do you want to worship Him? Do you want to encounter Him? Do you want to dance? I saw some of you guys dance at Lee's wedding. Some of you guys dance well. But do you want to dance with God? You want to worship Him where it's not just you, but it's like you you experience God. The way that He is worthy of being worshipped? Do you want to live a life of worship, of surrender and obedience, where you give God everything, and then God is like, okay, that you give me everything, I'm going to give you my heart. Can you imagine, all of a sudden, you're like, I'm experiencing the heart of God. That's worship. It's It's not just something that we do. It's something that we are. In Psalm 30, 11 through 12, it says, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosened my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Psalm 40, 149, 3-4. to four, Let them praise His name with dancing, making melody to Him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in His people. He adorns the humble with salvation. The psalmist writes this because they have danced with God. They have experienced that. They have worshipped Him in spirit and in truth and have experienced what God has for them. They don't write this just out of like, you know, theory. I believe, I think he's, I think he's good. I think, I, I, you know, I, I think that he takes pleasure in his people. No, he experiences. they're worshiping God and, and they're, they're surrendering their lives to him. And they're like, like oh, I can, ex- I, they're experiencing the fullness of who God is. God is revealing himself to them. It's an encounter. And I want to ask you today, do you want to encounter God? Worship is not a man-made thing. A man-made worship is dead. But true worship comes only when we have encountered God. We are filled with God and we have surrendered everything to Him. My next point is that true encounter brings revival. Revival. And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offerings and the wood and the stone and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Do you know what true revival is? True revival is when the people of God start to see God rightly. And they start worshiping him accordingly. That's revival. I feel like. In my mind, that is the best definition of what revival is, is when the people of God start to see God rightly. It's not, he's not just, you know, some guy sitting up in heaven. They start to see him rightly and then they start to worship him accordingly. And there is no revival outside of an encounter with God. It's going from a place of dormancy to fervency and activity. That's revival, right? But it just does it just doesn't just happen. Right? It's like chemistry. Who remembers chemistry from high school, right? I, I never took chemistry, I took anatomy. But I, I learned a little bit about about chemistry. But you have chemistry, all these chemicals and elements, and on they, on their own, they're just dormant. Right? You get baking soda, it's just dormant. It's we have some in our laundry room, it just sits there, just a white powder, but then you add some acid, you add some vinegar. And it becomes a science project. Right? We've all done it. the volcano. That's revival. Right? But revival does not just happen, it happens when we encounter God. When we encounter God, when we you know when we when we're able to to see God for who he is, and we start to see him rightly, and we start to worship him accordingly. If you think that you can produce revival on your own, it doesn't work. I've tried. It never happens. If you want revival in your life, if you want revival in your family, if you want revival in your church, we need to encounter God. We need a fresh revelation of who He is. And that's what what the Israelites got. And it changed everything. They fell on their faces and started worshiping, the Lord, He is God. That happened not because, uh, you know, what Elijah did, it's because they encountered God. True encounter with God brings revival. This is my last point: is that true worship requires death. That's the hardest part, right? I don't want to die. And as Elijah said to him, seize the prophets about. Let not one of them escape, and they seized them. And Eliza brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. For true worship, for true encounter, for true revival, something has to die. Paul says it. He says, "And, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires." It was Galatians five twenty four. You know what that flesh is? The flesh is us. It's our will. It's our understanding, it's our perception, it's our, it's our thing, it's what we think is right. It's what, it's what we want to do. We have to die. We have to put to death our distractions, our idols. And let me tell you, we have a lot of them. I have a lot of them. And you say, like, well, how do I do that? Do I just try real hard not to sin? Do I try real hard not to get distracted? You know, do I try real hard not to idolize BTS? Right? Or or Kong Yu. My wife loves this guy named Kong Yu. I don't know why. Let me tell you, it doesn't start with us. It can't. We're sinful. We're fleshly, right? It starts with an encounter with God. And we start obeying Him. And what, you know, like... What did God say is our number one commandment? Right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Right? Our flesh dies as we start to put God as number one priority in our lives. As we start to put our our flesh dies as God increases in our lives. Our flesh dies as we start to prioritize God in our lives. Say, God, you, you're not you're. I, I'm gonna put. I'm gonna start putting you number one in my life. I'm gonna start. You know, like, like my priority, I'm going to start setting my priorities in my life. I'm going to start putting you first in my life. And when we start to put God first, other things start to die around us. We, we encounter God and we see him for who he truly is. He's God. He's the great I am. But you know, it starts with a fresh encounter with God. It starts with a fresh encounter with him. Now I remember when I first came to New Philly, Pastor Susie talked a little bit about you know our past history in New philly. back then it was called j s e m It's the weirdest name nobody could remember. Chairs hung the English ministry, some of you you'll never remember that right so it got changed to new philly New Philadelphia Church. I remember first coming to this church. Right, I came and I was like, you know, it was broken. you know. And I remember I came and then, you know, people were worshiping, worshiping and then I was in the back and, and, and people would wave, raise their hands, right? And I'm like, that's weird. Does she have a question? Like, what's going on, right? And I was like, what's going on, right? This is this is weird, right? But I remember God started talking to me. Right? He started talking to me. And, and within this environment, God, God started to like, you know, he, he was like, "Hey, like, 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 I know there's more there. There's more there." Right? And I was like, "Okay, God, well, what is it?" And He's like, "There's more there, but you have to, you have to break through. Right? You got to break through. You have to surrender." And at that time, for me, surrendering meant telling people that I'd gone to prison, that I got deported from Korea. Nobody knew, right? Nobody knew, right? And I remember, like, thinking, like, like God telling me, like, that's what surrendering is. And I said, no, I don't want to have, have anything to do with that, right? But I remember, like, God was working on my heart, and I got to this point. I was like, okay, God, I'm going to surrender this to you. And so I went up there, and I told my testimony in front of the whole church. And I remember... This incredible moment where just, like, shame and condemnation just broke off. And it wasn't just God, but it was, like, like how the community, like, started, like, accepted me and loved me, right? And in that surrender, changed my life forever. It changed my life forever. I felt like, you know, like, back then, I felt like, I, like, when I walked into the church, I felt like I was drenched in water, right? I felt like I was like like the last person to ever experience God. I remember going to church and then they would hold, keep the offering in the back and I would never go close to it. Because I would think like people are going to accuse me that I done stolen some money, right? You're going to find out, right? I felt like the farthest from revival. I felt the farthest. Like I felt like I can't, I can't, I can't be with these people, right? He's young, lively, like, you know, like, you know, Korean American and like, you know, American kids and teaching English. And I'll be like. "Uh." then in my obedience and my surrender, God changed my life forever. I encountered God in a way that changed my life forever. I tell you that story because it happened through an encounter with God. I encountered God in a way where I was like, God, I surrender. And when I surrendered, God met me there. When you surrender is you're not god 's not going to leave you hanging when you surrender and you obey God will meet you there, and God met me there and changed my life I remember like years later i was we were doing a church plan in Busan and, then, and and Mina and I we started dating and then I remember it was it was before we had even you know like like anything about like being a pastor or anything like that. Like there was a there was a guy from IHOP here, two guys from IHOP in in, in our old Itaewon campus. Anybody remember our old Itaewon campus? Right. Yes, our old Itaewon campus. Right. And I remember it was it was at the Itaewon service and they were ministering and and it was my, it was actually my first time going to an I-10-1 service because I was like in Shilim and then I, I remember walking in and they had this they had this a uh, full time ministry call where they were calling up people. And 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 like committing, you know, like who felt like they had a full time ministry call, and they were they're praying for them. And I remember, I remember thinking like, what am I doing here? <laughs> I'm like, what am I doing here? I remember I, the only reason I was there is because Beena was going to Japan, and she forgot her passport, right? And so like I, I remember what, what, what I what I had to do, like go and pick it up or something. And then I ended up just like you know like ending, it. yeah. So and then I had to I had to drop off the speakers with the church band, our old church band, right? I remember going in, and then then I was just waiting in the back. And then he's like, oh, this is a full-time ministry call. And God's like, get up. And I was like, no. I heard him so clearly in my heart. He's like, I want you to get up. And I was like, oh, no, God. Can't you see I'm covered with water, right? I'm drenched, right? And he's like, get up, come. Go to the front. And I remember thinking like, oh, what are you doing? So I got up, and I I started walking to the front. And it was weird because it's like these are fr- close friends. Close, he, Rodney's a close friend of us now, and he's really close to us. It was Rodney, I think it was Kirk Bennett. It was Stephen Bochamp, right? They're, they're IHOP people from way back in the day. They used to visit our church. And I remember I was walking up, and it was weird because like when I started walking up, they both got up, and they looked at me. And I was like, that's weird. And I remember walking up to the front. And I said, God, like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Because, like, like, dude, w- w- me and Mina, we're going to get married. I was going to go to culinary school. I'm a good cook, right? I was going to go to culinary school. I had saved up, like, 30 grand to go to culinary school. Mina got all of that when we got married. Yeah? I was going to go to culinary school. I was going to move to Busan. I was going to start a restaurant. That was my goal, right? That was my dream. And I remember thinking, like, oh, you know, what's going on? Like, and I just I just obeyed God. I was like, God, and he's telling me, go to the front. And I, said, I went to the front. I remember I walked up to the front, and I, I was closing my eyes, and I could just I could sense like Rodney was like near me, and then and then and then their beau Champ was like like right in front of me, and then I got up, and then I, I remember this is all that calls back then, and then, and then they, they placed their hands on me, and immediately I felt like I felt like electricity going through my body. It felt like my feet left the ground. That's what it felt like. Right? I'm not a dramatic person. Mina says I'm dramatic, right? I'm not a dramatic person. I really am not, right? But I remember I fell on the ground and I was screaming. I was like, oh, right? But throughout that screaming, what God was telling me is like, you're going to preach. <sighs> I remember him telling me like, you're going to preach. And I remember thinking like, God, I don't know how to preach. Like, what do you mean not going to preach? And he said, you're going to th- preach the gospel. And I said, ah, oh. I'll do that on mission trips once in a while. But he's like, no, you're going to. I'm gonna give you a full-time ministry call in your heart. And I remember having this argument with God. I was like, no, you're being ridiculous. But he I remember him saying, like, this is me. And then he he like gave me this vision of of my my history going back to like when when I was a kid and my my Harabaji, my my grandpa would tell me, You're gonna be a pastor. Because I was the oldest son, right? And he would be like, You're gonna be a pastor? And I'd be like, "What? Like, I want to be a fireman, right?" <laughs> and like, "You're gonna be a pastor." And i I'm, and then my dad, my grandfather, would always tell me, "Like, you're gonna be a pastor. You're gonna be a pastor." And he, like, God was reminding me of this history that I've had throughout my life. And it's like, even when I was going to college, I had this calling in my heart. Like, 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 I wanted to be a missionary. Right? But then I fell into sin. I fell into like debauchery. I fell into drugs and all this stuff. I ruined my life. I, and, but like, like the, the, and he's like, I'm, you're going to become a pastor. And I'm thinking like, God, you're being ridiculous. But I encountered God that night. And I remember just like, just feeling like, 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 like making this commitment. It's like, okay, if, if you're telling me to do this, I'm going to do this. Right? If, if, if you're calling me into this, nothing can stop this. And you know what? Since then, nothing has stopped me. I'm not saying this to brag about me. I'm saying this to brag about God. My life changed through an encounter with God. I encountered Him in power and it radically changed my life. His encounter established me in my calling. His his encounter established me in ministry. His encounter established me in relationship. It was everything. Everything. And you know like you know Susie talks about like how our church kind of went off the rails and yeah it did it really did But like nothing can nothing can change what God did God did that yeah. And and we're here to tell you that God is here today and here he wants to encounter us There's there's people in here there's some of you in here where God's going to Wants to set you in your calling. Some of you in here, is God wants to demonstrate His love for you. Some of you in here, God wants to heal you. You might have you might have wounds in your heart from church, from people. God wants to heal you. Some of you in here, God wants wants to help you to forgive. Some of you, God God just wants to touch your heart, and He's just to say. This is me. This is me, and I guarantee you: if you experience God and encounter, you will never be the same again. But you know what? It's it's not. It's not because I'm up here. You guys know that, right? It's not because of anything that I do. It's not because you know I preach the sermon. It's not because what Susie. What What it is is, it's the position of your heart. God is here. And, you want to, and he's saying, like, do you want to encounter me? It requires surrender. It requires obedience. And it requires us to say, like, God, I'm here and I want to encounter you. There needs to be a hunger. There needs to be a thirst. There needs to be this unction in us where it's like, I'm not going to leave you. Remember when Jacob, you know, wrestled with God? He's up in the sun. He's like, God, he's like, I'm not going to leave until you bless me. Right? Do you know that story? Jacob is a jerk. <laughs> when I used to read that when I was a kid, I was like, dude, Jacob's a jerk. Jacob tricks his brother. Right? He's like, hey, like, uh, sell me your birthright for bullets too. Oh, okay. Esau was dumb, but Jacob was a jerk. Right? And I always wonder why. Like, like. Like, like, why is he like so blessed? It's because it's because he had a hunger. He had, he had a zealousness. He had a jealousness for the blessing of God. Do you guys get that? You know, the word jealous and zealous in the Hebrew is same. Right? It says in the Bible, our God is a jealous God. It also can be translated as our God is a zealous God, right? Jacob, right? The reason why he's blessed is because not because he tricked his brother, it's because he had he wanted it more. He had a desire for more. He said, I want I want I'm not gonna leave here until you bless me, God. He wrestled with God and God hit him in the thigh. He had a limp, but he left that mountain knowing God like, like God is with me. And we, we see it carry out in his life. Jacob, he, he's a patriarch. His 12 sons and all of them become the tribes of Israel. It's because there was a zealousness in his heart. He's like, I, want, I will not leave this mountain until I encounter God. That's what you need in you. That's what we want to have you in us. That's why we're up here preaching. We want this unction to grow in you, where you say, God... It's not about Susie. It's not about Caleb. It's not about the praise team. It's not about the music. It's not about anything. It's about you. And I will not leave this place until I encounter you, God. I want to be touched by you. I want to encounter you. This is what we want for your heart. Praise team, if you guys can come up. There, there, you know, our our hearts, we, we come to places like this and a lot of times we come and we're just like, you know, I remember when I was a kid, I'd be like in the back, like chewing gum, like, ah, what you got, right? You guys actually might have that kind of attitude right now. You guys might be like that, like that altar that's been drenched in water. You might be like that altar that's covered with water that does not seem like it's going to light on fire, but God might be setting you up. God might be setting you up so that, 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 that he, that you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that who you are encountering today is God. He is God. And if you don't, if you leave here and and you don't encounter Him, it's okay. But maybe you should have that zealousness and jealousness like Jacob had and say, God, I'm not going to leave this mountain until you touch me. I'm not going to leave this mountain until you bless me. I want to encounter with you today Let's all stand up.